Morning, River Church. Morning, How are you guys doing? Good. Always love getting this great view. Look at everyone. I uh, wonder where you are this morning. How's your heart doing? How's your mind? How's your spirit? If you're like me, maybe a bit of both uh, ends of the spectrum. Uh, jubilation. I did a wedding last night for a friend and was very excited about that. And Hume Lake, uh, we baptized almost 40 students last week, and so my heart is so full of joy and for the future. Uh, God's kingdom is alive and moving, but then also deeply grieved, at, uh, as Tommy is pointing to, some divisions in our nation and uh, issues that were things that happened yesterday in Virginia, and just a heart that's grieving uh, for God's forgiveness, his reconciliation to manifest itself, for healing, um, for a friend who's battling cancer. So a lot this morning, and uh, it's really a privilege to be used by God in a way, and I hope uh, to be faithful to the scripture in a way that it can speak to you uh, wherever you are, and that just for a little bit we can hear what God has to say to us in the midst of the turmoil that is life. Uh, So to start us off, we're going to turn our attention to the book of Luke, chapter 1, as we continue our series uh, this, this summer, looking at the kind of people that God puts to work to accomplish his kingdom. And in order to do this, we're, I'm going to invite up an amazing young man named Philip, who is going to read for us uh, scripture. So Philip, come on up here, buddy. And uh, this is also in Leadway. Uh, Philip is heading off to Boston College uh, this week. And I want just uh, pray, after you read, I'm going to pray for you, Philip, and, and pray for all our students who either heading back to college or will be, uh, who graduated and will be going to college for the first time. So once you read for us our text, we're, we're going to be in verses five, Luke chapter 1, verses 5 through 7, verses 24 through 25, 39 through 45, and then 57 through 63. And just real quick, let me give you some context. We're going to be looking at the life of Elizabeth this morning. And Elizabeth is someone who only appears in Luke's gospel, in the whole Bible. She only appears in Luke's gospel, and she appears right at the very beginning, and this is the only chapter that she appears in. It's the perfect person that God wants to put to work for his kingdom. She's also the relative of uh, Mary, Jesus' mother, and uh, her son, John the Baptist. Her son was John the Baptist, who prepared the way for Jesus as the Messiah. So an important woman, but gets little press coverage. But we're going to dive into her. So here we go. You guys got, so Philip's going to read for us. Nice, uh, nice loud voice, buddy. All that college enthusiasm ready to go. In the days of King Herod of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly order of Abijah. His wife was a descendant of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. Both of them were righteous before God, living blamelessly according to all commandments and regulations of the Lord. But they had no children because Elizabeth was barren, and both were getting on in years. After those days, his his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she remained in seclusion. She said, This is what the Lord has done for me when he looked favorably on me and took away the disgrace I have endured among my people. Verse 39. In those days, Mary set out and went with haste to a Judean town in the hill country, where she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard of Mary's greeting, the child leapt in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women who blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why has this happened to me, that the mother of my Lord comes to me? For as soon as I heard the sound of your greeting, the child in my womb leaps for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her by the Lord. 57. 
Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great, his great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to name him Zechariah after his father. But his mother said, No, he is to be called John. They said to her, None of your relatives has this name. Then they began motioning to his father to find out what, to find out what name he wanted to give him. He asked for a writing tablet and wrote, His name is John. And all of them were amazed. The word of the Lord. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you that it speaks truth to us. Thank you for Philip, Lord, for the man he is. And we ask a blessing on him as he heads off to college. And we think about all the students who have come back this summer, who have been part of the river, and will now um, go back to their college communities. For our graduating seniors who are heading off to college for the first time, we ask for your favor on them. God, would you give them community, um, give them churches that will um, grow them in you. We ask for, uh, for them to be strong in you, to grow in, in the word, um, to grow in truth, and to study hard. We love you, Lord. Amen. Amen. Thank Thanks, you. Philip. So uh, on your outlines, you'll see two questions. Uh, what do you need to be released from, and what do you need to release to God? And I hope those are two questions that kind of can guide us this morning, guide our thinking, and for you to reflect on uh, later. And uh, the title of the sermon is Finding Freedom in Radical Faithfulness. Finding Freedom in Radical Faithfulness. You know, freedom is something we all desire, right? I mean, I think about this this morning on the beach and just loving the fact that we can gather on the beach and worship the Lord. Uh, Freedom without worrying about being um, injured violently in any way or attacked. We can just be free to worship God on a public beach. Pretty amazing. And we all desire freedom. Freedom to enjoy what we want to do, freedom, to, uh, freedom from obligations that might prevent us from going to that Taylor Swift concert, you know, or uh, going to maybe free, a free night at Terranea if it, pre- if it presented itself that way, if we were only so lucky. Um, and so we desire freedom. And often, if you, if you probably ask most people, how would you define freedom, most would probably say freedom is being able to choose what you want to do, being able to do what you want to do. That's freedom. And I think uh, I kind of want to hold that in, in question this morning and, and look at, if, is that true freedom or is true freedom actually being obedient to God? Uh, and those two might come into clash. And so I think Elizabeth is a really good character to understand this. So, uh, and if, if we're honest with ourselves, I think we realize even in our pursuit of freedom and we pursue, uh, you know, maybe b- bigger salary in order to have more freedom, more purchasing options. We pursue a promotion in order to, uh, you know, climb the corporate ladder to have more freedom, more control over and influence over people beneath us. But then we quickly realize we almost become more enslaved to our work and to our debts and to all the things that we are trying to accomplish actually work back on us. And additionally, I think along with this is the fact that we try to free ourselves from any obligation that might bind us and we might lose out on, um, uh, on an opportunity. And so we maybe say no to commitments. We say no to like faithful attendance in communities because we don't want anything to hold us back from uh, being able to maximize our freedom. And I think what ends up happening is we end up becoming isolated. We end up becoming alone and we feel disconnected, left out, and end up just staring at everyone else saying, how come they're more connected than me? 
I thought I was pursuing freedom, and yet all I feel is not free. I feel enslaved in some ways. And I think this is exactly where the enemy wants to keep us. The enemy wants to lie to us and say, if you keep being free the way we often think about freedom, uh, the enemy lies to us and says, just keep on doing that, rather than pursuing a biblical perspective of freedom, a freedom that we will see in Elizabeth's life. And that is where we find that deep connection to community, a deep connection to God, and real life that God wants for us. So how can, we, how can we accomplish this? How can we live in radical freedom? Let's look at Elizabeth's story. So I think, to first to start us off, Elizabeth's story, by the way, is a story that probably none of us would want. Elizabeth was a woman of really of poor standing. Uh, she was in a remote area of the Judean hills, away from Jerusalem, which is like the center of power. You know, maybe think Bakersfield. No, just kidding. Bakersfield always gets a bad rap, you know. Uh, but... Not in L.A., you know, it's like she's away, she's nothing to speak of, uh, she's poor, financial, has no means, um, but yet this is the woman that God chooses to bring forth the person named John the Baptist. And so it's hard because while I think all of us want great stories, we want success, we want those good things, uh, God keeps bringing people out when we read his word about people who are often on the margins, people who are poor, people who are marginalized, people who are destitute. And so for us today, I think we need to just examine, saying, are our hearts drawn to something that is not biblical? Or are our hearts drawn to God's understanding of where where true freedom is? So first, I want to look at the way in which, and offer some um, observations for us this morning, the way I think uh, Elizabeth's stories can speak to us and how it can provide us some uh, ways in which to have radical freedom. So first, there's no sense of entitlement with Elizabeth. No sense of entitlement. Look at verse 6. Both of them, meaning Elizabeth and her, her husband, Zechariah, were righteous before God, living blamelessly according to all the commandments and regulations of the Lord. Elizabeth was barren, though. But she had been living faithfully to God for many years. Yet, it's interesting is you don't see any sense of bitterness, any sense of anger, any sense of like entitlement that God owed her something. Like you, never, you don't see in the text her saying, God, I've been faithful to you for 40 years, and you don't give me a son? How can this be? I'm done with you, God. There's none of that. No expectation that God needs to give her the thing her heart longs for. Now, longing for a kid is a great thing, but there's no sense of entitlement. Because, see, when we have a biblical perspective of freedom, we understand that the very giver of life, our God, he's the one who gives us all good gifts. He's the one that controls who, what life looks like. He gives us the very breath in our lungs, and we're not entitled to that very breath. It's his to give to us. And so I think that's hard, though. It, it kind of hits us strangely because... Life can be really good, and we can think, oh, yeah, if I do my work, I'm going to get good things. And so a lot of people put a lot of hard work in, and we kind of entitlement can creep into us, saying, how come my boss doesn't notice me, you know? Or how come, how come my coach isn't noticing me? I've been putting in so much hard work, I should be starting. And that sense of entitlement can creep in. And see, what entitlement does is it shifts our perspective off of God and his kingdom, and it puts us onto us. 
and at my kingdom, my life. And we become people really following our own desires rather than God's desires. And that's really the story of Elizabeth. The story is not Elizabeth's story. Now, she does have a story, but her story is in God's story. See, Elizabeth's story is really about understanding who God is, God's kingdom, not about Elizabeth finding her own great story and writing her story and her historical moment, you know, making great. No, it's about how to live faithfully to God. That is how to live a great life. So, first thought is no sense of entitlement. Secondly, there's no sense of bitterness or anger in Elizabeth. Instead, there's only praise for God's faithfulness to her. Look at verse 25. This is what the Lord has done for me when he looked favorably on me and took away the disgrace I have endured among my people. When God gave Elizabeth a child, and she had been, bur- she had been barren for so many years, had, she had been burdened with this sense of disgrace and shame for years among her people. She noticed that, uh, the distinction of her people. This isn't like her enemies who are shaming her. This is like her people, her closest people, right? I mean, isn't it true in life how the people closest to us can often hurt us the most? So for years, her people have been disgracing her, that sense of feeling isolated from her own people, feeling disconnected. But yet she doesn't say, why me, God? Why do I have to bear this disgrace? I thought you cared for me, God. Um, She doesn't offer any of that. Only praise. God, thank you that you have provided for me. I praise you for your faithfulness, God, to my life. See, bitterness robs us of joy. It robs us of freedom. Um, It robs us of what God desires for us. You probably have heard this quote, you know, bitterness is the thief of joy. Uh, And I think it's so true. Uh, The bitterness and anger in our life, um, sorry, comparison is a thief of joy. It might be something else you've heard too. It it robs us of that sense of what God desires for us. And so bitterness creeps into our lives in very subtle ways. And we have to be vigilant to stand against it, to confess it when it does creep into our hearts so we can live in freedom. So how are you doing in this? It is challenging in our world where we feel like we earn things and we want so much in life and then when we don't get it, man, bitterness can just creep right into our hearts. So how are we doing from this? And the key is in order to be, live in the kind of freedom that Elizabeth did and what she provides for us, we need to free ourselves from that. Uh, thirdly, there's no sense of comparison Look at verse 41 through 43. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the child leapt in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why has this happened to me that the mother of my Lord comes to me? Now imagine, after years of feeling burdened and being disgraced, right, without having a kid, and you finally now have a child. You finally get that thing that has been leaving you out, right? And now all of a sudden, God grants that to you, and so you have that. And then all of a sudden, like, your baby brother, like, gets that same thing, but times 10. See, she got, Elizabeth got pregnant with John the Baptist, but Mary got pregnant with Jesus. Jesus is kind of a little bit better than John the Baptist in one sense, right? It's like, seriously, my, my relative, my younger relative who's a virgin, right? So she's a big age difference. She gets pregnant with Jesus, Wait, God, how come I didn't get pregnant with Jesus? Why didn't you give it to me? 
But we don't see that. There's no sense of comparison. There's no sense of, wait, God, what? Did you just give me like the leftovers? You gave me second best? Right? I mean, it's like, I mean, how often does this happen when we post something on Instagram and then somebody else posts something right after us and we're like, oh, dang it, I guess my vacation wasn't that great. Look at them. I mean, I just went to Hawaii and they went to the Maldives, you know? I mean, it was like so much better. And then we feel like we got robbed or cheated somehow. And so all of a sudden that sense of freedom that we had because we thought we had this great vacation then gets robbed because we're in a, we're in, we feel like now we're in this comparison and it's been stolen from us. So if we keep looking at a sense of freedom in the other things other than in God, we're always going to end up short. Always going to end up short. So Elizabeth, never a sense of comparison. What does she do? She, gives, she blesses and gives honor to Mary. Blessed are you among women, she says. Nothing about her. I remind her of the Apostle Paul that says, outdo one another in giving honor. Give honor to one another. I think it's so hard to do that today, though. In such a, a highly competitive society uh, where you have to survive, it, it's hard to give honor because it's dangering. What happens if I give honor to somebody and I actually praise my boss, I, I praise a fellow employee to my boss, and that person gets the, the promotion rather than me? I mean, I could actually, by giving honor to somebody else, that could hurt me and my opportunity and my freedom. And that, man, that cuts against me. And so I think it's really hard to give honor to other people. It's hard to have this attitude of like Elizabeth does. But yet we don't see that. And I think this is one of the keys of why she's able to embody radical freedom. So how are we doing, church? How are we doing with comparison? How are we doing in honoring others above ourselves? Fourth, Elizabeth releases control of her life to God. Let me show you what I mean by this. Look at verses 57 through 62. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown his great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. On the eighth day they came to circumcise a child, and they were going to name Zechariah after his father. But his mother said, no, he is to be called John. They said to her, none of your relatives has this name. Then they began motioning to his father to find out what he wanted to give him. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, his name is John. And they all were amazed. So we might miss this here if we don't have some context. Let me just give you some quick context, maybe in the way of an analogy. It'd be like, say, Philip, who just graduated, okay? And his, like, grandfather and, like, great-great-grandfather and father all went to USC. And then his mom spoke up and said, no, he is going to go to Boston, not USC, and it's like, what? But everyone before you has gone to USC. You have to go there for college. I mean, because that's who we are. That's our family. That's our lineage. See, it's not just a name, and we miss that today. We miss the importance in, this social, in the ancient Near World, how important names were. It connected us to family. It was prestige. It was privilege. It was everything that people needed for their identity. And Elizabeth, Elizabeth speaks up and says, no. God told me his name's going to be John. Again, the same people that have disgraced her like her whole life, and she's felt this sense of shame. And finally, they're like rejoicing with her, right? It's like, oh, we're rejoicing. We're so happy for you. You're going to name him Zechariah. Nope, he's going to be named John. Like, what? John? No one in your family is named John. What do you, are you, God, that's clearly not God's plan for your life. Nope, his name is John. 
That took so much courage. Have you ever been faced with a situation when you knew you had to speak the truth, even to your family, people who love you so much? Like, I, there's no way God wants that for your life. No way. No, God is calling me to go here. God wants me to be this type of person. And your family is questioning you if you're really smart or in, if you're actually seeing things the right way. See, when we're, we're walking in the Spirit, keeping our focus on God's kingdom, we're discerning God's will, our eyes are on Him, we're able then to encourage, step out and speak the truth. But when comparison s- sneaks in, bitterness sneaks in, our eyes then turn off of God and onto ourselves, and then we lose that ability to discern God, hear His voice, and speak the truth. And if, just to add one more thing to Elizabeth's pile, I like, just want to show you how great of a woman she is. So after she finally gets pregnant, has John the Baptist, she releases that, the whole thing about his name, right, names him something else. She even releases him to the wilderness. Notice here, um, later on, it said John ended up growing up in the wilderness. It wasn't in a rabbinical school. It wasn't in some great college, but she released him to the Lord. I mean, she's like, Elizabeth, you really want another round of like disgracing to happen to you? You released now your son to the wilderness? He's not going to be anything. He's not going to amount to anything. He's not going to the best school. He's not becoming anybody. He's in the wilderness. But yet this woman knew God's will. She knew what God called her to do. And it takes courage to do that. It takes a lot of guts. And what to me I think is so interesting is this theme of release plays up again in John's ministry. And in John, in, um, Luke chapter 3, I want to read this for you. In Luke chapter 3, verses 11 through 14, uh, I, no doubt this theme of release, this character of Elizabeth has shaped now John, who is the one who's preparing the way for the Messiah. And people come to John and say, John, we want to, how do we repent? How do we be baptized? How do we live faithful lives? This is what John says to them. Again, you can hear Elizabeth's life uh, in the background here. He says, whoever has two coats must share with anyone who has none. And whoever has food must do likewise. Even tax collectors came to be baptized. And they asked him, teacher, what should we do? And John said to them, Collect no more than the amount prescribed to you. And soldiers also came to John. And we, what should we do? We're soldiers of the Roman army. And he said to them, Do not extort money from anyone or threats or false accusations. And be satisfied with your wages. Do you hear the theme of release? Don't take more than you have. If you have two cloaks and somebody has none, release it to them. If you have a job, don't just be focused on what you can get for yourself. Release it to somebody else. That's the kingdom of God at work. That's what God wants to do in your life. That's what God wants to do in our life. See, what's challenging is when we're so caught up in where am I going in life? What am I going to accomplish? What's my great story going to be? If I don't have a great story, I'm no one. And so our eyes then shift off of God onto ourselves. And we try to, we work so hard in life. And then, little by little, we keep working hard. And maybe we climb things. 
we gather more and we end up missing out on the freedom that God wants to actually give us. And I want to end with my last observation, which is, I think, the biggest point that kind of brings it all together, which is Elizabeth does not give up on her community. Elizabeth was faithful to her community, her worshiping community. Notice again what it says in verses 5 through 7, that she and her husband were righteous before the Lord, observing all the decrees, the commandments, which meant practicing Sabbath. It meant being a part of a community of believers. It meant giving of yourself, tithing to, yourself, to your community, sharing resources. It was loving God, loving others. That's what it was, to be righteous. And so she and her husband were righteous. But it wouldn't have been so easy for her to say, you know what, I'm done with this. Disgraced, shunned, I can't live up to them. Everyone else is having successful lives, children, and look at me. I'm just going to detach. Detach and go on my way. Nope. She stayed committed. She remained faithful. And in that, her radical faithfulness to God and to others, to love her neighbor as herself, it shaped her into a person who was able to not be angry at God, to shape her into someone who was not bitter at God, to shape her in a kind of person who wasn't entitled to God's blessing, shaped her into somebody who wasn't, who wasn't taken advantage by the thief of comparison, and it was somebody who was able to release even her own son to God. That's the kind of people God desires us to be. So my prayer for us is that we may be faithful to God and to each other in community, that he will be shaped and formed in radical freedom. Let's pray. Father, you desire radical freedom for us. But God, I want to confess that my heart often desires the things I think will give me freedom. Um, but God, I know that that is my flesh, that, and the enemy keeps whispering to me those things to keep achieving influence, to keep achieving um, more things, Lord, more purchasing power, Lord, I can exercise my freedom. And all the while, Lord, I'm opening my heart to comparison, to bitterness. Um, God, my eyes are turning away from you and onto myself. So God, may we be people who openly confess when uh, we feel ourselves going down that road. May we share honestly with one another. So we want to be people like Elizabeth, people who had the strength, Lord, to remain committed to you, and to each other, even through years of hardship. God, because Elizabeth is the kind of person that you will put to work. And God, I know that we are people that you want to use, that you want to see your kingdom continue to grow and influence lives for the gospel. And so we want to see that, Lord. So may we live in radical freedom by living in radical faithfulness to you. In Jesus' name, amen.